Hello, Metro Augusta. Hello, Georgia. And hello, wherever you are. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the August 16th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show is brought to you as a service of my consulting firm, and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates. We proudly provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. If you have not already, please follow the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia on Facebook. And we also ask that you subscribe to our YouTube channel. When you follow and subscribe, that lets me and others know that you support our efforts here on Local Matters. As we look towards this year, and believe it or not, over half of the year has passed, and um, we're looking towards the end of the year, I have started hearing conversation already about people who are interested in running for office. Either they're interested in running themselves or they're helping to look for people to run for office. And I had somebody ask me a few days ago, well, when is this election even taking place? So before we get started with our guest today, I want to take a little time to clarify that. Uh, first, um, this year, if you are in Richmond County, uh, there are just uh, a few offices that are going to be on the ballot, and those are in the town of Blythe. So um, the qualifying begins for two council seats on August the 21st and ends on August 25th. So if you're in Blythe and you're interested in running for one of those seats, your window to qualify to run starts on August the 21st. And that election will be on the November 7th ballot. Also on the November 7th ballot will be a, an opportunity to support the Coliseum Authority in their attempt to get funding to build a new James Brown arena. You all may recall that uh, now, and I have to check back probably at least a year, maybe two years ago, um, we had the opportunity to vote for a general obligation bond to take on that debt associated with uh, building a new arena. And of course, the majority of the voters voted no. So that left the Coliseum Authority in a position where they had to go back to the drawing board and come up with some different ideas. Um, they approached the legislative delegation and, and got it approved to do what's called a C-SPLOS or a Coliseum SPLOS. And that is a sales and use tax dedicated for the specific purpose of building a new arena. Um, in this instance, it is similar to some of the uh, sales taxes that we already have, such as the regular SPLOS, you know, that's a, a one penny tax. Um, there's the T-SPLOS, which is dedicated to road purposes. That's also a one penny tax. Uh, this Coliseum SPLOS or Coliseum Special Purpose Local Option Sales Tax would be a half penny. Uh, so instead of adding a full penny to our tax burden to what we uh, pay when we purchase goods and services, we would only be adding a half penny uh, per dollar if this referendum is approved. Um, I know at one point I thought, based upon what I had read in the media, um, that the uh, decision 
as to whether the mayor of Augusta should uh, receive the opportunity to vote on matters coming before the commission on all matters. Right now, the mayor only votes in the event of a tie. Um, if the mayor were to be allowed to vote on all matters, that's a charter change, and the voters have to approve that. I had initially thought, based upon what I read, that that would be on the ballot in November. Turns out that's incorrect. Uh, that will be on the ballot in March of next year. So you haven't heard a lot about that. Uh, and that's the reason why we still have a good bit of time before that particular item will be voted upon. Um, speaking of voting, you know, we always remind you to check your voter registration stat status. Um, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that the state of Georgia is looking at the voter rolls and purging those rolls. Um, they're looking for people who have not voted within the last two general elections that places you at risk and you're considered to be inactive when you don't vote in two consecutive general elections. They also uh, look at whose mail is returned. If they mail something to you at the last known address they have, and it comes back to them, uh, they assume that you're no longer in the state of Georgia and you can be removed from the voter rolls. So if you want to participate in these elections coming up by the end of this year, um, the uh, deadline to uh, get registered is sometime in October, uh, but you can register to vote at any time. So please uh, take care of that obligation as a citizen to check your status and register if you need to, uh, to make sure that you can cast a ballot on November 7th. In terms of our local elections in May, the odd numbered seats on the Richmond County Commission or Augusta Commission will be on the ballot. And then later on during the year, um, there will be elections for half of your school board seats. Local Matters family, today we are joined by a guest that I have been trying to chase down for a while. Uh, <laughs> she is Dr. Linda Tucciaroni, and uh, she uh, has been in our community for a long, long time involved in uh, the field of education. So we have invited her in to continue our discussion on our uh, continuing series related to whether schools are failing kids or kids are failing schools. How are you doing today, Linda? I'm well. Thank you so much for uh, asking me to be here. Yes, thank you so much. I'm so glad that we were able to work this out. Um, it is our tradition on Local Matters that we ask our guests to start off by describing something about themselves, just letting them, our guests know, our listeners know who you are, uh, what your connection is to the field of education, where you're from, all that stuff. So please give us the overview on who Dr. Linda Tucciaroni is. Thank you so much. Well, I'm a girl from Brooklyn and uh, I tell people that uh, you can take the girl out of Brooklyn, but you can't take the Brooklyn out of the girl. And I, I recognized that uh, recently when I was listening to a piece on NPR and uh, they were broadcasting from the, uh, uh, the public library at Grand Henri Plaza and were going over the archives of, um, of uh, um, Jackie Robinson and how I went. I could have been there, but I thought, oh my goodness, I, I am a Brooklyn girl. <laughs> so uh, that's the first and most important thing uh, to know about me. I'm the eldest child of 
uh, seven of uh, a mother who was an immigrant and a dad who was a first gen American, neither of whom graduated from high school, a hardworking couple and uh, had the opportunity in, uh, uh, in Brooklyn to attend an all girls Catholic high school that was the premier high school, uh, private high school in Brooklyn for girls. Uh, on uh, a very generous scholarship. And really it uh, probably was the change of the redirection of my life. I uh, lived in a neighborhood on my street alone were 150 children, but only one other child on that street attended college and he lived right next door to me. And uh, it, because I knew nothing about thinking about going to college, I went to the college he went to, uh, which was a good thing because the second day of class, I met my husband, <laughs> the man who would become my husband of 46 years. Um, the, uh, I studied science. I went on to Columbia University on a teaching fellowship to earn my PhD, but um, not but, and I married my husband uh, during that short period and he, um, changed jobs to come down to uh, Augusta, Georgia to work for the Corps of Engineers out at the dam. And so I came to uh, initially work at the Medical College of Georgia and then to continue my PhD there. It was also in graduate school that I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ through the testimony of my major advisor. It was uh, changed the rest of my life. I um, had my daughter at the end of completing my um, doctorate, stayed home, had my son four years later, stayed home with him until he entered first grade. And then at that time, instead of going back as a research scientist, which what I was, had been my passion, had been what I trained to do, I uh, entered teaching and it was part-time teaching science. And uh, really, I think that's where um, my love of, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in school, a lot of time, uh, either being the student or being the teacher, but that's where my love for children and their, um, their education, um, you know, really blossomed. It was at the end of that, uh, somewhere in around 1997, 98, that um, I was leading a group of students in a um, community service project. We were tutoring, tutoring children in an after-school program. And it was there that I uh, became acquainted with the need for um, that many of our student, our children in um, urban areas were experiencing for a quality education. It was there that I had the opportunity to tutor Ebony, and I, I, I've never met her since then. But Ebony, if you're out there and you and all remember me, you are the seed that caught, started Heritage Academy. And uh, I uh, tutored her, and we went over a worksheet, and it and the worksheet said uh, was on the Martin Luther King uh, March on Washington, and it was about his I have a dream speech. I said, Ebony, what's your dream? And she said, well, I wanna be a nurse. And I said, great, 
and we talked a little bit about what it, you know, what you, what you'd have to study to be a nurse. And I said, what will it take to be a nurse? And she said, discipline. Whoa, that's a really sophisticated answer for a fifth grader. And then she volunteered this. She said, my mama doesn't want me to be like her. And all that day and into many, many days, I thought about Ebony's mother because you see, I would say my daughter had just started at the University of Georgia in virtually the same type of academic program that I'd been through. Uh, she was majoring genetics. And yet I would say the same thing to, to my daughter that Ebony's mother said to her. I don't want you to make my mistakes. It's not about my personality or my career choice. That's really what Ebony was saying. Don't, the Ebony's mother was saying, I don't want you to make my mistakes. I'd say that to my daughter. And then I started thinking, well, I wonder if Ebony's mother, now remember this is 1998, 99. Um, I wonder, I said, if Ebony's mother had a choice about where to send her child to school, would she take it? Now, I, I'm in uh, establishing that timeline because really it wasn't until 2001 that the United States Supreme Court ruled on the first voucher system about the legality of vouchers. And that was the Cleveland voucher system and they ruled it legal. So really that opened the gateway to the whole issue of school choice throughout the nation. But we, that it, it was not even, most people did not understand the concept of school choice. But that is the beginning of what became, what is now Heritage Academy. So, and I used to say it was about Ebony, but really it was about Ebony's mother. It was about Ebony, the parent having a choice about where to educate her student that was not dependent upon income. Okay. So that, now, that's how Heritage began. And now help me with this one. And, and, and also let's clarify for the audience too. Um, Heritage Academy started, um, what was your official role? Were you called the executive director, head of school? I was called the executive director of the school because what makes us a bit different is we do a heck of a lot of fundraising. <laughs> We are a nonprofit mm -hmm. whose, whose purpose is to provide education. So we, you know, executive direct directors run nonprofits. And that was my title uh, as founder and, uh, it, and even today my successor, because I have retired just in the end of June, my successor is still called the executive director. Okay. And so um, we began in 2001 with we opened the door with five children in kindergarten, ended the year with 10. And mm -hmm. uh, last year, we concluded the year with, I think, 245 students in the K-8 program and 110 in the Early Learning Academy, which is six weeks to four years old. Okay. And uh, so starting in 2001, you were with the organization until this year, 2023. The, the conclusion of this year. And um, tell me, 
before you were in the nonprofit private school world, where were you? Were you I a was teacher? A teacher. I was a teacher at a, a local private school. That's right. Uh, at a private school, you were a private school environment. Okay. Right. So have you ever worked in a public school environment? I have not. Okay. Okay. All right. I was just curious about the differences. Um, now, and Heritage is considered a charter or not? No, we are not. People are often confused about that. A charter school is really a public school. It's right. a public school that has different kinds of oversight, but it still receives it, the majority of its funding through uh, a pub, you know, uh, through the tax dollars. Mm -hmm. As a, we are a private school, we are not funded through the state. Okay. And where does all that money come from? You mentioned fundraising. Does that mean that you're out knocking on doors and making phone calls? <laughs> More or less. <laughs> Not quite okay. as uh, literal as that, but 85% um, of our operating costs comes from donors. Uh -huh. um, about half of that comes through the tax credit program. People usually locally refer to it as goal, though goal is only one um, player in that tax credit um, game, and I don't mean it game as it's frivolous, um, and then the rest is actually through direct donations, whether it's from individuals or foundations or businesses or churches, and then 15% is covered by tuition paid by parents, and tuition is scaled according to income. And in terms of the admission standards at Heritage, what are they? Can anybody show up and go? Is there a test the kids have to take? You know, what so that, there is an application pr process. There mm -hmm. is a um, an, an entrance testing to uh, you know for placement of the child in the correct grade and program. Um, but we we call ourselves accessible. We don't have special ed, though we have a uh, program called the Bridge Program where we do some intensive intervention for those children who come to, to Heritage who are below grade level. And the parent is not charged additionally for those services. Okay, so what you're telling me is just to, to watch this evolution, you were happily teaching along and then on a volunteer project, you encountered a student and her life changed your life. You know, that that's exactly right. Uh, you know, the awareness of the need uh, we, we all, you know, we live our lives. We rock along merrily, and then something happens to make us aware of what the lives of other people and what they need, and, that, and that's what happens. So yes, God, it was, a, it was a God thing, for sure. Excellent. And the, what do you do when you get ready to start a school? I'm just like, how do you <laughs> even get started? I mean, what, what's the what first step? <laughs> That's what I said. I remember talking to my daughter at UGA at like midnight and going, 
I don't know how to start a school. <laughs> but fortunately, there are people out there that did that. We, I called the person I consider to be the grandfather of the school, Dr. Bernard Gant. He was the uh, head of Urban School Services for the Association of Christian Schools International. He helped me. Um, we, you know, I felt I felt like um, every place we came to, a door opened. Okay, this is how you do it. You, how you apply for your 501c3. How do you get a board? How do you get accreditation? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it is one foot in front of the other. <laughs> you just, so you just, you just went to the, the, you found the right people, you asked the right questions and you just kept rolling. Yes, ma'am. That's exactly how it happened. I remember telling, I, I mean, I do a lot of advising to God. <laughs> of course he laughs. And, uh, I said, you know, Lord, I don't want to be in a church, a church, uh, can, you know, if, if people aren't part of that denomination, they may not come or they may not give. I, I don't want to be polarizing in that. Well, guess where we landed that first year? We landed in the fellowship hall of uh, um, the Broad Street Baptist Church, who was, you know, right there on East Boundary. And um, and then, you know, the the school we're in, the building we're in now, which is the old Houghton School, well, Lord, I don't see how we can be in this place. It's it's a mess. It was, you know, the roof was leaking. The windows were broken, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, thankfully, I don't know everything. And God does. And so he has led all along the way. It's been it's been a miraculous story. Yes. Miraculous. I was thinking a blessed journey, but miraculous is just as yeah. good. And just to show you how that is, uh, I, I was a preparing to appear before uh, the uh, commission on uh, a variance issue. And I was ready to uh, preparing myself, you know, just what kind of impact have we made? And for the first time, I added up our investment in the two city block area that we occupy. And that's $12 million. And that's just in real estate development of, and I don't mean that like we've put up new houses, uh, but the amount of money, and that's all come from private dollars. Uh, and so uh, that's, that's miraculous, miraculous, because trust me, I'm not a developer. I'm not a program manager. I'm just somebody trying to do what God is telling me to do. Let, let me also ask you this. Did you have any fundraising expertise at all when you took None. this on? None. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like me starting a podcast. I didn't know anything. I just I know. Listen. I, it, <laughs> but you know, what? Uh, here's what people respond to. Uh, passion and integrity. Uh, you know, I tell folks, we're a come and see school. I think once you walk in the door of our school, you understand what we do and uh, the means by which we're doing it. The, the school sells itself. Uh, you just got to get there. You just got to walk in the door. Excellent. So 
having done all that, having gone on this miraculous journey, uh, having been led on this miraculous journey, best way to put it. Exactly. Thank um, you. You uh, have achieved what many in our community consider to be very good success. Can you tell us what separates Heritage Academy from your run-of-the-mill public school? Well, you know, I, I, I don't like the word separates. We, we okay. are different. We're certainly different. Um, one is we're a school of choice. So a parent is making a choice. They are, this is not their default setting. They're making a choice. They're making a choice to embrace what we offer, right? And what we're offering is a quality Christ-centered education. So children are going to learn the Bible and they are going, we're going to set standards and have expectations. Now, we're not, we're going to help you, you know, you were going to lift that bar up, but I'm getting under you and I'm going to, we're going to make sure you, you get up there to reach that. Um, we have a staff of mission-minded people who join us in this. Uh, it's a calling. And um, so I, I think that these are all things that contribute to, to our, you know, as you pointed out, our, our success. It's a group of not only like-minded individuals who are doing the teaching and doing the running, it's parents who want that for their children as well. Now, sometimes a parent doesn't fully understand that because uh, they're just looking for something different. They don't know all that's involved. It's not just a change of address, right? You're just not changing your child's address. You're changing the culture of expectation. You're changing uh, how every day is run. We're going to uh, be in close contact with you about uh, you know uh, everything that's going on for your child. So, but we we hold your hand in doing that. We're not dropping you in the end of the pool and saying go ahead and swim. And you know, it's the deep end of the pool, not the shallow end. We're helping you all along the way. Okay. And I take it then there are people on staff aside from the teachers who are involved in that hand-holding role. Yes, right? absolutely. We have, um, we have, uh, you know, obviously administrations, administrative staff. We have the um, we have a chaplain who is also the mental health counselor doing all sorts of things that provides that scaffolding that is needed uh, in some instances for parents and their children. So there is an environment, an atmosphere of support. You're not yes, just thrown in the deep end of the pool. Yes, yes ma'am. And I would assume that's easier to do just because of a smaller enrollment. Uh, it is. Um, it's easier to do it. I mean, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's still hard. hard but it's right. easier because um, really, you, you know, don't have a thousand students. You know. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, and, and I agree with that. Um, you know, when you put in a thousand students in a school, who's keeping track, right? You know, so you need smaller pods of accountability, of 
being able to know that person. Uh, when grandma walks in the door in the front office, we know who she is. We know her name. Can we pray with you? How can I help you? What is it you need today? Um, being known, being seen, that's, that's really important. Yeah, I'm sure it's very important to grandma, you know, that she walks in and folks know who she is. I certainly hope that you all enjoyed the first part of my conversation with Dr. Linda Tucciaroni. Um, based upon her experience, a lifetime of experience in education. Uh, she has a lot of insight to share with us. Uh, and so we're going to continue this conversation next week. Uh, this is also one of the guests that will be featured on our YouTube channel. Uh, so uh, if you don't like listening to audio only, YouTube is a great way uh, to catch the rest of our conversation. Be blessed, everyone. I close with my favorite Bible verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. or Thursday at 7 p.m. here on 103.7 FM or 1600 AM. Or please go to SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts at any time because local matters.